When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, January 14th, day one of the 2024 Australian Open now officially in the books. I have so many thoughts, so many different reflections to share with all of you listeners as we recap all of the action here on today's show. First and foremost, though, I know I speak for all of us in the tennis world when I say it was simply delightful to have Grand Slam tennis back in our lives. This is not meant to be a humble brag. It's a statement of fact. I was up until 4 a.m. last night. Now, I am not nocturnal on habit, but couldn't turn the TV off. There were just so many different compelling matches, so many intriguing storylines to monitor throughout the course of the day. It's going to make recording today's podcast a delight. And just in case you are new to our Daily Slam recaps here on the Mini Break podcast feed, a quick outline of how these recaps will be formatted. I'm going to try to touch on everything. I've watched at the very least highlights from all 32 singles matches yesterday. As such, I do want to at the very least, mention all of the scores that unfolded on day number one. Obviously, there were 32 singles matches. I imagine it would be very difficult for all of you listeners who have other obligations in your lives to follow everything. Thus, yes, I have some headlines I obviously want to go through for all of you listeners, but I do try to touch on everything, try to at least offer, I don't know, 30 seconds of thoughts on each match, just so you have a more broad view of what's going on in the tennis world. No one's going to shock you in a round two result because you'll say, oh, I heard Alex point out on the mini break that that person had a big round one result, so I should be on the lookout for that player moving forward. Also, by the way, if you need some help organizing what your viewing schedule should be, make sure you're subscribed to the Great Shot podcast feed. I'll have previews each and every day of the event up over there moving forward. Our day two preview already up. We're going to try and get those up each and every night here on the East Coast as the prior day is unfolding. I guess that's the best way to phrase it so that you guys have at least, I don't know, 12, 16 hours to listen to those preview podcasts. Obviously, again, here, these are going to be the recap shows on the Mini Break podcast feed. I want to run you through my headlines from the day, then touch a little bit on everything that unfolded. As again, there are so many different fun matches to discuss. And obviously, today's headlines, some of them going to be pretty clear, right? We got to start the show by offering my thoughts on that Andre Rublev five-set thriller, Rublev skirting by. He was down, I believe, 6-2 in that third set. Excuse me, fifth set deciding breaker. And your reminder here at the Australian Open, fifth set breakers played to 10, win by two, not the seven win by two. You see in ordinary set, no, those deciding set tie breakers played to 10, win by two. Rublev was down 6-2 in that deciding breaker. Just felt like 23-year-old Tiago Sabeth Vild was swinging so freely. Maybe, just maybe, he had the juice to knock off off the number five seed, but Rublev found another gear 
down the home set and the way his serve delivered for him all match long. That's something to note moving forward. Want to offer my thoughts more broadly on that Rublev five-set thriller. You had another uh, top 10 seed, top contender, Barbara Krachikova. Looked like she was on the brink of elimination down a set and four all. She finds her best tennis. She escapes with a three-set win. Which Krachikova are we going to get in Melbourne over the next two weeks? I'm still unsure, but obviously, again, always good for a top 10 seed to escape with a three-set win on the women's side. So want to break that match down. Then I got to talk about who's the best 16-year-old in the women's game right now. I know that's a storyline, a drum I've been beating quite frequently of late, but Oh my God, did the 16-year-old shine yesterday in their first round action, whether it was Alina Kornieva, the two-time Junior Slam champion, three-set victory over Cerebez Tormo. You had Brenda Fruvertova, three-set victory against Anna Bogdan. Now, neither of their opponents were seeded, but... Oh my goodness, I got some thoughts on those two 16-year-olds who, they got more than just the three-minute highlight package offered by the Australian Open YouTube channel. And by the way, shout out to the Australian Open YouTube channel. They get highlights up within like 30 minutes of these matches ending, and it's not just the three-minute highlight packages for every match. You get extended highlights up to eight minutes for all of the matches as well. Makes doing my job significantly easier in case I do miss out on everything, because of course, there are like 10 matches going on simultaneously and possible to watch all 10 with any sort of serious focus uh, at once. So shout out to the Australian Open social team probably the best in the business we have in tennis. And again, uh, makes my job a lot easier. Anyways, want to talk about that. Dino Prismich maybe living up to my hype in the minds of some of you who saw him play for the first time last night against Djokovic. We have some good wins for a couple of Americans as well. And then a bunch of other top seeds, right? Sakari, Fernandez, Fritz, uh, all in action. Uh, Sinner, excuse me, Tiafo, players to get into certainly on today's show. By the way, 13 matches go the distance yesterday. Seven on the women's side, six five-setters. Six five-set matches for the men in what was a 16-singles match day. That's extraordinary. It's why I was up till 4 a.m., because there were a lot of good matches to monitor, and again, I want to try and touch on all of them here on today's show. So that's the agenda for today's recap. Appreciate all of you who tuned in day in, day out. A shout-out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15, and again, your friendly reminder, if you are looking for previews of each and every day, they're not going to be here on this podcast feed. I will preview every day over on the Great Shot podcast feed. So do me a favor, go subscribe to that show, leave that five-star review, leave a uh, comment as well in the Apple Podcast comment section. All right, all that said, let's get into day one of our first major of the 2024 season. And again, headline number one, unequivocally, the five-set match for Andre Rublev. He skirts by, almost saw his two sets to love lead, uh, evaporate, actually did see that lead evaporate as again, uh, Sabathfield able to come back, take sets three and four, but ultimately Rublev able to squeak it out. Seven, five, six, four, three, six, four, six, seven, six. He advances. Now there are a couple of different angles you can take in trying to cover this match. First and foremost, let's be clear. Andre Rublev was up six, five, love 40. He had three good looks at second serves for Tiago Sabathfield in that final return game of 
the fifth set, but man, credit to Sabathville. Just, he had a game plan. I am going down swinging in this match, and I'd rather lose missing on my terms than just let the Andre Rublev forehand dictate around the court. And I mean, look, the winner count in this match was immense. And even if the statistician was being a little bit nice, Rublev hit 88 winners, 21 aces in this match. Sabath filled 15 aces, 68 winners. That is what you saw. Like You saw plus one excellence. And man, again, it is worth noting. Tiago Sabathfield has some serious off-court issues hovering around him, a domestic violence dispute in Brazil that he will have to answer for currently being adjudicated by the Brazilian judicial system. This is a guy who is a former Junior Slam champion, a guy who was not in the best shape in his teenage years, but has always had these sorts of weapons, this serve, this forehand. And look, he's gotten skinny. like He has gotten fit. And you saw what he was able to do, his on-the-sprint little flick of the wrist, forehand, cross-court slice, passing shot on Rublev in set number four. Obviously, again, his ability to fight off those, I think it was three or four match points in that 5-6 service game in the fifth set. And the way he did it, serving volley off of a second serve on the first one, again, just swinging so freely, forehand, cross, forehand, line, backhand, line, just drop shot, whatever the moment called for. Now, that drop shot actually did him dirty in set number five. He hangs a drop shot that ultimately Rublev tracks down, hits a backhand down the line. Winner that gets the mini break evaporated. Rublev able to level things from there. I think it was six all at the turn uh, in that fifth set breaker, ultimately able to take those last four points. I will say down three, six in that fifth set breaker, Rublev steps up to the line, hits two massive first serves. And again, 22, uh, 21 aces. I know Tiago Sabathfield is a risky returner and going to take some big cuts. That's just his game style. He's going to go down swinging, and clearly he's got the racket talent to embrace that game style. It makes sense. He is that talented in terms of making contact with the ball from the baseline, but 21 aces is something. That is, you don't see that performance very frequently from Rublev. He won 83 of 100 first service points in the match. Struggled on the second serve, but again, that spoke to the make-or-break nature of Sabathville as a returner. You look in the course of this match, Rublev 34-49 at the net. You look at the breakpoint opportunities in this one, uh, Rublev converting four of his 23 breakpoint chances, Sabath 4 of 8. Uh, Sabathville, excuse me, 4 of 8 in this match. But Rublev had a million chances. And it, for what it's worth, Rublev was down an early break in set number one, able to overcome that, take the first set 7-5. So it's not as though he was up to love in this match and then Sabathville came out of nowhere and started swinging freely. No, Sabathville was competitive from the start. You know, again, the 23-year-old right now, 77 in the rankings. That's three off his career high. This is a guy who's won a title at the ATP Tour level in his career, even if the week-in, week-out consistency hasn't been there. Obviously, almost had another massive victory uh, in a first round of a major. And for those of you that have forgotten, Tiago Sabathville at Wimbledon last season was able to pull off another uh, was able to pull off, excuse me, his lone first-round massive upset. Uh, not Wimbledon, excuse me, Roland Garros last year. Five sets over to Neil Medvedev on his way to the third round there. Look, in terms of start of the season, he's got a lot of challenger-level points to defend. Made a couple of finals on clay in March uh, at the challenger level, including a title in Vina del Mar. More clay success uh, at the challenger level in Buenos Aires and elsewhere throughout the course of April and May. 
difference is he's now going to get to play all those matches at the ATP level. He had to play qualifying during the South American clay court swing last year. He's not going to have to do that last year. He's going to get uh, this year. He's going to get in on his ranking and obviously has had so much clay court success throughout the course of his career. So should be well positioned to perhaps even make a top 50 push. If he is consistent, his weapons are there. Like the Sabathfield serve forehand package, how freely he was swinging and freely he was playing against Andre Rublev, the aggression with which he was playing. It was special stuff, elite ball striking. He put so much pressure on Rublev. And yet that was a massive victory for Rublev to grind through, not just because he's defending quarterfinal points here, but because that would have fueled the narrative that I do think if you've learned anything from Breakpoint, it's you've learned these players are more in tune to the narrative surrounding them in social and tennis media than perhaps they try to let on in press conferences. Obviously, Andre Rublev still has to get over the Grand Slam quarterfinal hump, but coming off of a very disappointing ATP final showing, you lose this match to Sabathfield. Look, Sabathfield was playing elite tennis. Like There would have been no shame in it to anyone who actually watched the match. But it would have been very disappointing, particularly given, again, 6-5, love 40, and you see all of those match points evaporate. You go down quickly in that fifth set breaker, and yet Rublev able to grind things out through to round number two, where he has a date with the winner of Chris Eubanks and Taro Daniel awaiting him. That's a good victory uh, for the fifth seed to start out his uh, 2024 Australian Open campaign, and that's certainly headline number one on day number one of this event. Headline number two belongs to Barbara Krachikova, the 2021 French Open champion. Uh, certainly looked the part, uh, uh, certainly did not look the part, excuse me, in her first set yesterday against Mai Hantama. Hantama taking the first set 6-2. It was 6-2 for all. I mean, again, credit to Hantama, who certainly put some pressure on Krachikova, but the unforced errors just relentless off the racket of Hantama throughout the course uh, of, excuse me, Krechikova throughout the course of that first set and a half. And, you know, again, the thing she did most impressively was just clean things up the rest of the way. Ultimately, Krechikova able to uh, earn a 2-6, 6-4, 6-3 victory uh, over Hantama to advance to round number two. I mean, the stats from this match are not particularly kind to Krechikova, who overall 27 winners against 47. 47 unforced errors. 10 of just 10 of 17 at the net. That opportunity wasn't there for her because anytime she did try to take the big cut, it did feel like forehand wing, backhand wing in particular was spraying on her. And yet it is worth noting she cleaned things up as the match progressed. Again, 47 unforced errors attributed to Krechikova overall in the match. 13 of them coming in set number one. She had another, what, 14 of them in set number two. I mean, again, I guess set number three, 20 unforced stairs. That doesn't sound pretty. It felt a little cleaner in set number three, in my opinion. I felt like by the end of that match, she was starting to hit her forehand cross, extend through it a little bit more comfortably. But look, this was survival. You, and if you're a top player in the world, these are the sort of things you have to do. Survive when things aren't clicking in uh, in your match. For Krechikova, you know, she was just 47 of 91. Barely slides over 50% in terms of service points won throughout the course of this match. Both players, six breaks throughout the course of it. Hantama breaking six of 12 times. Krechikova breaking six of 13 break point chances. Again, she didn't play well, but usually this is a match where Krechikova, those errors get the best of her, and she's let it slide away from her of late. This time, she is able to at least grind it out, get through her round one opponent. Now, again, she's the seed, so things were relatively staying open for her. She'll got 
She has, excuse me, Tamara Korpatz in round number two. It's a very winnable match for Krejcikova. And you could see the emotion on her face after she won it again, the survival there. Look, the reason I have this as one of my top headlines, not only because it was a three-set victory for a top 10 seed, but Barbara Krejcikova looked like a top five player in the world to start last season on hard courts. Tight losses to Sabalenka at a couple of events, I know, but obviously the title run last season in the Middle East, where I believe in that title final, if my memory serves me correctly, she ultimately beat, yeah, Iga Sviantek 4-2 in that Dubai final. Obviously, again, very hot and cold down the seasons uh, throughout the course of the North American hardcore stretch. Seemed to have found something post-US Open in winning San Diego, making a final in Zhengzhou. But, you know, again, this is the one you got to grind through early in your season, and this was a grinding win for Krejcikova. Three sets over Hantama, who pushed well. Krejcikova, though, able to advance to round number two. Survive in advance, dare I say, on day number one of this event. Headline number three for all of you is one I have been beating the drum of quite frequently of late here on this show. Who's the best 16-year-old in the world on the WTA Tour right now? Certainly by pedigree, that answer is Mira Andreva, and she's going to have a real test in round number one. She's taking on Bernarda Pera here in Melbourne. But look, two of her 16-year-old peers have advanced to round two of this event already. Alina Kornieva and Brenda Fruvertova, each earning three-set victories Excuse me, on day number one of this event. Let's start with Kornieva because we haven't talked about the two-time Junior Slam champion uh, as frequently on this show. The technique's a little funky. Like she comes over the top of the forehand a little bit like Allison Risk. The backhand, it's a little bit wristy, but oh my God, does she explode through the ball and God, there's some heavy action coming off of her racket as well. Not just pace, but the heavy top spin. It feels like her forehand in particular. She can whip. She can hit it loopy. She can, you know, again, drive it down the line when she wants to as well. Look, it took her a moment to adjust to the physicality, to the off-balance nature, the outer third tennis, Sarah Saribas Tormo uh, injects into matches and forces her opponents to play, but... She was never overwhelmed by the consistency, never overwhelmed by the physicality of Cor- uh, of Soribes Tormo. And to say that about a 19-year-old, uh, excuse me, a 16-year-old, I'm going to get through these unforced errors. To say that about a 16-year-old, that she wasn't overwhelmed by the physicality of a Soribes Tormo, that the backhand slices, the off-brand angles, all the things Soribes Tormo employs to make you uncomfortable, none of that frustrated, flustered Alina Kornieva beyond the first 30 minutes of the match. Like, she goes down 4-1 in the opening set, works her way back, had looks to break back, get things back on serve. Now, ultimately played a little bit sloppy in the 5-4 service game of Cerebus Tormo, a missed second serve return in particular on the forehand wing on set point, epitomizing the sloppiness, dare I say, of that game. Cleaned everything up the rest of the way, like went down an early break to Cerebus Tormo in set number two, got it right back, and just continued to be the one to inject pace within the uh, course of every point, to be the one to change direction, take the aggressive swing, move forward behind those opportunities as well. I'm all in on Kornieva's game. She's played eight tour-level matches. She's now 7-1. and one. This is her first win in her career at the Slam. She's still well outside the top 100, up to 179 with this victory. That's 23 spots off her career high. But again, 16 years old. And you just know it when you see it. 
that is a tennis player. That is someone who knows what spots to be in, how to be one shot better than you, how to position herself properly, how to beat you to the spot, even if the technique's not the cleanest. The combination of power, action on her ball, good mover, not elite first step. I wouldn't put her in the golf tier, the Sviantec tier, but movement's not going to be an issue for Kornieva moving forward. I was really impressed by what I saw from the 16-year-old. Again, qualifies into this event and now a first-round win over Sarah Cerebez Tormo. But honest to God, Linda Fruvertova, who plays tomorrow, might be as impressive. Brenda Fruvertova, her 16-year-old sister, who came through qualifying as well. Talk about bouncing back, 2-6-6-4-6-3. Once she got accustomed to the speed of Anna Bogdan's ball, she became the one dictating throughout the course of this match. And you look at the stats from this one. Brenda Fruvertova able to swing so freely from the baseline. 15 winners in this match. That's actually, that, that can't be right because I watched this one. It says she had 15 winners to Anna Bogdan's 33. I will say, here's the big stat. Uh, you look at break points one, Fruvertova four of 13, uh, Bogdan four of 11 throughout the course of this match. Fruvertova winning 70% of her first serve to Bogdan, 64%. I mean, look, there's a lot of different ways you can go. The The number one thing that stood out to me is that it felt like Brenda Fruvertova was the one dictating in sets two and three, that her ball clearly was the one that had a little bit more action on it. She was the one more able to find the outer thirds where it felt like Bogdan was really reliant on trying to go down the line, trying to beat the 16-year-old to the spot. But I'll tell you what, Brenda Fruvertova's got some wheels on her. Like, it's not just the easy power off of both wings. It's the fact that she is so fluid in and out of the outer thirds of the court already at this age that she can find the forehand cross from defensive position so well because she does get outside the ball so well. The backhand for all Fruvertovas is special, and Brenda is no exception. Again, can go line, can go cross, can do all the things. Her second serve floats, like— like any 16-year-old in the world, Brenda Fruvertova's second serve sits up, it floats, and there were times where Anna Bogdan really made her pay for it. Bogdan winning 59% of her second serve return points. But the first serve had a little bit more juice on it, and the way she's able to pop through that first serve when she is trying to go after it, that makes me confident that there's room for growth continuing forward on the serve. And of course, there's always going to be room for growth on the six, uh, for any 16-year-old serve, but that you can see the foundation set so well um, in her first serve technique and how she's able to extend it and explode through it, how she's able to put the kick on it when she wants as well. It just means the pieces are there for her to continue to get better as a server. And look, with this one, she's knocking on the door of a top 100 debut. Brenda Fruvertova sitting at a new career high, 107 right now in the live rankings. I believe one more victory, and she would indeed make a top 100 debut. Fruvertova in round number two, going to have a date with second-seeded Arena Sabalenka. So that might be a little bit tough, but hey, 16-year-old Fruvertova is going to get to walk out of Australia, not just with a slam victory under her belt, first of her career. By the way, youngest player since Coco Golf, I believe, to get a win at the Australian Open. Pretty good com- company to keep. Brenda Fruvertova is going to get to walk out of her first month of the year saying, hey, not only did I get my first win at a slam, not only did I win a match at a, a tour level event as well, but I got to play two of the four best players in the world. I got to play Coco Goff in Auckland. Now I get to play Arena Sabalenka here in Melbourne. So great litmus test for the 16-year-old to say, hey, this is what the best in the world looks like. How do I stack up? What do I need to continue to improve to get towards that level? Again, really impressed by Fruvertova. 
The ball probably has the most action coming off of her racket when you compare. Let's just compare the three 16-year-olds here quickly. And again, we haven't seen Mira Andreeva play yet. She's certainly going to be tested against the big weapons of the lefty Bernarda Pera. Who's the best mover of the bunch? I probably lean Andreeva. Who has the best serve of the bunch right now? I definitely lean Andreeva and probably will long-term. I think she's the tallest of the group. Her technique's really, really sound on that technique. Who does the ball have the most action of coming off of her racket from the baseline? I think the Fruvertova forehand and backhand. I mean, just the pop, the spin, the drive. Like, you can just tell right away. It's an eye test thing. She probably wins that. But who has that most aggressive mindset? Who's the one to whom dictating maybe comes the most natural to and who always seems to be looking for that opportunity. That's Kornieva. I like her game style, the tenacity. She can do a little bit of it. They all can do a little bit of everything. I probably like Andreeva's ground stroke technique the least just because I think sometimes she plays her ground strokes a little close to her body. And thus, when she's pressured by pace, that ball can pop up. But they're all top 50 players. They all have top 25 or better ceilings moving forward. Like, that's a really, really special generation of players that, by the way, are all really good already. I mean, it's a fun, sneaky subplot to follow throughout the course of the season. I think they all turn 17 this year, but which of those three, Andreeva, Kornieva, Fruvertova, ends their season ranked the highest? Now, obviously, starting the year, Andreeva much better position than the other two. She's also played far more tour-level matches than the other two to this point, but Kornieva and, and Fruvertova both have the level. Like, that might have been one of my favorite subplots. You saw me tweeting about it all night throughout the course of day number one watching these 16-year-olds compete because to beat Sarah Cerebez-Tormo in a three-set match at 16 years old, you got to have, dare I say, as the kids say, you got to have a dog, that dog in you. And, man, Kornieva... What a competitor. Like, that was really impressive. Same with Fruvertova from a set down. You could see how much it meant to her. All the kids looked good yesterday because you move over to headline number four. Yeah, he lost in four sets, but Dito Prismich pushed Novak Djokovic to a four-hour match. Four-hour match. That's got to mean something, right? As the 18-year-old continues to develop and you look for Prismich, who, uh, for those of you unfamiliar, Junior French Open champion, now 187 uh, in the live rankings, 32 spots off his career high, ultimately knocked out. But hey, Djokovic had to go the four sets, 6-2, 6-7, 6-3, 6-4, again, pushed in a four-hour long match. And look, the physicality for Prismich it's already there. The 18-year-old is a special athlete. And I'll tell you what, seeing him stand at the net next to Djokovic, I didn't realize how tall Prismich was. This is a guy who's like 6'2", 6'3". And again, like the, his physicality was not why he lost this match to Novak Djokovic. He just couldn't extend through his backhand as frequently as he needed to. It felt like Djokovic, yes, Djokovic got pushed, but Djokovic was never rushed. Djokovic wasn't stressed within the course of a rally. He was just tested throughout the course of every rally. I thought Prismich would extend through his forehand more, try to be a little bit more aggressive off that wing, and certainly there were moments when Prismich was. But, I mean, again, tight scoreline, four-hour match. This was a very calculated effort, if that makes sense, from Novak Djokovic, just to make sure, hey, how does the wrist feel? How, how am I moving? How am I acclimating to these conditions? As Novak often does, he, dare I say again, 
works his way into these events, works his way not into shape, but works his way through certain things that he wants to try throughout the course of a certain event. And you saw that throughout the course of this one. I thought in particular how aggressive it felt like he was with his forehand that at times sprayed on him a little bit. Djokovic, 40 winners against 49 unforced errors. I thought he pushed forward pretty successfully, but that was clearly a tactic Djokovic had in mind. 20 of 30 overall on his net points to Prismich's 8 of 8. Prismich only 42 unforced errors, just 31 winners as well. And, you know, Prismich 12 of 39 on second serve points. Djokovic, of course, making him pay aggressive on the return of serve. But man, Dino held steady. Like backhand cross, could he create advantages from him for himself off of that wing? No. Did he hold steady on that wing? And that wing certainly didn't break down at any point of the match. I thought, again, you can see on Clay how his forehand is just going to be a nightmare to deal with, why he won a junior French Open champion, because, yeah, he's got that backswing, but the heaviness of that ball, the heavy Thompson ball is going to get on your shoulder so quickly once he gets back on the dirt. Again, he can extend through that ball, cross, extend through it line when the opportunities call for it. He was never rushed, never felt overwhelmed by the moment. Again, saw a couple of set points go astray for him in that second set breaker, yet able still to close things out on that 6-5 point by grinding Djokovic down. Prismich competed. Like, did he go down an early break in set one? Did he go down an early break in set three? Was this match ever in doubt for Novak? Uh, excuse me. He did not go down an early break in set number three. Dino Prismich, good reminder, Alex, I popped into my brain, was up a break in the third set. It was one set all with Dino Prismich up a break. And then Novak Djokovic woke up and he said, this is cute, kid, but you can't hurt me. And I'm going to get a little bit more aggressive now and play at the, you know, again, I'm going to bring you to the grown-ups table. I really liked what I saw from Prismich. The steadiness across the board, the athleticism, again, he just wasn't overwhelmed by anything. An 18-year-old facing the world number one, the 10-time Australian Open champion on center court at night, he puts together a four-hour fight. Really impressed by what we saw from Prismich. Again, he's got a lot of rankings climbs to, uh, to make before he gets probably another crack at the big boys. But the steadiness with which he displayed throughout the course of this match, he's going to be in the top 100 for a very long time in his career. And I think his upside's even higher than that because, again, wait till we get to the to the clay courts. You see his forehand can be a little bit more of a weapon. That was the one thing. He maybe played a little bit too tentatively, a little bit too much within the margins last night. And yet, again, like four hours with Novak Djokovic. If, if you are capable of doing that, you got yourself a game to you. So credit to Novak jo- – uh, credit to Dino Prismich, excuse me. I thought he played uh, a really good showing, uh, albeit in a four-set loss to the top seed. And again, if you're a Novak Djokovic fan, you're totally fine with that first effort. Yeah, he was down a break, but in that third set, at the moment he was down a break, he seemed to turn it on. And from there, obviously – able to rock and roll. Last headline for all of you listeners before we start getting a little more granular, start rapid firing through results. Couple of headline victories for the Americans in what was otherwise a pretty blah day for American tennis. I thought most notably Francis Tiafo looked really good last night in a four-set victory over Borna Chorich. Tiafo 6-3, 7-6, 2-6, 6-3. I mean, again, I, I just want to continue to point this out. Best of five set brings out the best of Big Foe because his physical advantages, not just obviously his speed, but his strength, his stamina, all of these different things, 
they just are further amplified the longer a match goes. A best of five set format is always Tiafo is going to be fitter than you down the home stretch of any match. Still able to, dare I say, duplicate his level in set number four as well as he is in set number one. He didn't need to in this match. That was the most impressive thing. It wasn't the physicality that separated him from Borna George. It was everything else. He was better at all the tennis things. He was the one dictating the terms of engagement, the one that it felt like was able to put some pressure on the Chorich forehand wing more frequently than vice versa. Tiafo, the one able to dictate more with his first serve, which was clearly the biggest weapon on the court. Again, the one more comfortable moving forward, the one more decisive in the second set breaker. Francis looked like a top 20, top 15 guy maneuvering his way through a difficult early round matchup. Like again, four sets in that first round, Borna George, but to be up two sets to love, to never really feel like the match was in doubt, that's a really nice showing for the American to kick off his Australian Open campaign. Obviously, we'll looking to, we'll be looking to make another, we know what he's capable of, semifinals at a hardcourt major, if not better, if you watch any of the breakpoint uh, coverage of Francis Tiafo. He still has higher aspirations moving forward. Obviously, a new coach uh, in his box, Wayne Ferreira out, Diego Moyano in seemed to be paying dividends in match number one. Again, it was a really clean performance for Francis. Four-set win over Chorich. And then, how about Amanda Nisimova? Welcome back to the tennis world. Now, again, we barely saw her during the course of the 2023 season. This is someone who is still what? Just, I want to say, Amanda Nisimova's got to be like 22, 20. Uh, I think she's my younger brother's age. So, at oldest, she is 22. Uh, yeah, she's 22 years old. Like, again... 22 years old, and it feels like we've already had two books written on the Amanda Nisimova career, whether it was her early breakthrough at the Slams, Roland Garros, semifinals, obviously all the off-court things she's unfortunately had to go through. It was a really good victory for her yesterday, even at just surface level, over 13th seeded Ludmilla Samsonova, Anisimova able to knock out the number 13 seed, 6-3, What was so fascinating about this match, look, I'm not going to accuse Ludmilla Samsonova, uh, Anisimova of beating an in-form Ludmilla Samsonova. This was not a good performance for the number 13 seed. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But what was so fascinating is you're just reminded of Anisimova's height and how that size allows her to get into her power tennis so well. Like the kick serve that Ludmilla Samsonova employs to frustrate so many different opponents. It was waist to shoulder height for Amanda Nisimova, sitting right up in her strike zone for her to just bunt down on. And look, again, you'd accuse neither player of playing their best in this match. Nisimova made just 53% of her first serves. Samsonova just 47%. Samsonova 36 unforced errors against 16 winners. Anisimova 17 winners against just 23 unforced errors. I say just 23 unforced errors. We didn't get a lot of five-plus shot rallies in this one. It was a lot of decisive down the line, take the big cut while the ball's in front of you. Anisimova was the one who got Samsonova stretched to the outer third more frequently. It did feel like Samsonova had to play more defense in this match because her first serve just wasn't landing very frequently, and it kind of disrupted the flow of everything she wanted to do. Again, Samsonova leaves this month 0-3. It's a really disappointing start to her 2024 season. Certainly, as we reflect on month number one of the year post-Australian Open, 
the lack of a popping result for Samsonova after she ended the hardcourt stretch so well once again in 2023. It's really disappointing for the Russian as, again, you continue to ask, this might be one of those make-or-break seasons. Can she hit what is clearly a top-eight ceiling with the power tennis she's capable of playing with the fact that when she is in rhythm, she's able to run off, as I like to allude to, 13 match wins in, dare I say, 15 matches played. Onisimova's not at her fittest. Like, that's very clear. She's not moving as well as she did even a year ago, let alone two, three, four years ago. Let her work her way back into shape. Certainly match tough. Certainly still swinging freely and certainly can still make contact with the ball beautifully off of both wings. Can play elite power tennis. It's a good win for her to get her tournament going and obviously opens up that draw, which was always the most fascinating 16th in the women's draw, that Samsonova Vekic section. Vekic going to play Pavlichenkova, Townsend playing Bedosa on round number two. You know, Anisimova will be the heavy favorite over both Podoroska or Zdancic in round two. So if Anisimova can get through to round three, again, whomever the force you're play- she's playing, as I said, that player probably feels they're the favorite against this version of Anisimova. It's a real opportunity for all of these players to make a second week at a major to start the year, and obviously Donovekic has some serious points to defend. So that section of the draw opening up as expected if you listen to our Great Shot podcast draw previews with this Anisimova victory. She knocks out 13th seeded um, Ludmilla Samsonova, excuse me, uh, with a straight set 6-4, 6-3 victory. And again, you only had three upsets on the day. It was a pretty clean day number one. Now, we'll get to why it was pretty clean. It's because a bunch of seeds ultimately survived in three-set, five-set affairs. But the seeds that were ultimately knocked out, you had Anisimova knocked out 6-3, 6-4 against Samsonova. Wozniacki knocking out Magda Lynette as well. Now, unfortunately, Lynette forced to retire from that match. You could just tell physically she wasn't going to be able to move the way you need to when that pressure is put on you by Caroline Wozniacki with the physicality. She brings the consistency within every match, but Woz looked good. It's another first-round victory for Wozniacki, who in like 10 matches has worked her way back towards the top 250. She's 252 in the world right now. Obviously, will continue to rise with every win that she earns. And in knocking out a seed, obviously, she's opened up things for herself. She'll face 20-year-old Maria Timofeeva, one of three other 22-and-under Russians earning wins on the day that we will get to here shortly. But... Look, that draw is wide open now for Wozniacki to make a third round, get a real test against a top 10 seed perhaps in Haddad Maya in that round, or maybe she'll face another youngster in an Alina Kornieva who's in this section. If Linda Fruvertova, the 19-year-old who reached round four of Australia last year, can pull off a Haddad Maya upset, now that section becomes Wozniacki, 20-year-old Timofeeva, 16-year-old Kornieva, 18-year-old Linda Fruvertova. Fascinating fascinating, excuse me, section of the draw for us to keep an eye on. But again, uh, it's a good victory, though not surprising for Carolina Wozniacki. Still a tough, uh, tough loss, obviously, for Magda Lynette, who was protecting semifinal points at this Australian Open this year. You just hope she gets healthy and get back to able to play the tennis we saw from her to start last year throughout the remainder of this season. Your last upset, Diana Perry, uh, 6-3, She knocks out Wang Xinyu, the number 30 seed. I don't understand Shinyu's game plan. 
Like she just wasn't able to find the Perry backhand nearly enough. And look, Diane Perry was moving extraordinarily well. Diane Perry was hitting the serve extraordinarily well. Diane Perry was hitting the plus one forehand extraordinarily well, being very aggressive. She flashed why she has top 50 weapons. And when she can get into those playbook and overwhelm players with lesser weapons or lesser athleticism, why she will be such a tough out moving forward. But Shin Yu has real weapons. And... I don't understand how this matchup went this way because she has the serve to find that parry backhand, dictate towards that wing with consistency. But I'll tell you what, the parry slice like got Wang Shinyu off center and her footwork just wasn't clean enough. She couldn't respond to the parry plus one forehand frequently enough with enough consistency or aggression to make any sort of response. And so again, that's a disappointing loss for the 22-year-old from China to start her season. Uh that's a, that's a good win for Diane Perry to get things rock and rolling again. Perry was a top five junior in the world, back up to number 72 in the live rankings as a result of making this second round. No upsets on the men's side. And I guess that gets us into the matches that went the distance. Here were the men best able to avoid upsets. I already mentioned the Rublev five-set win. Again, during United Cup, you heard Paul Anacone say Taylor Fritz has acknowledged he is working his way into shape to start this season. That's never a good thing when it comes to the Australian summer. You could tell he was a little slow in and out of corners, and yet he was the better ball striker, and ultimately his ba- he was just better at tennis than Diaz Acosta. Ultimately, Fritz able to grind through that one, four, six, six, three, three, six, six, two, six, four, avoid another early exit at a major, at least for now, but you could see how much that one meant to him mentally. And I do think Fritz will continue to get better as this tournament progresses, as he does continue to return from injury, work his way back into shape because you know, no one is going to outwork Taylor Fritz, a work ethic as fine as anyone's Fritz. Five-set result, uh, ultimately, through over Diaz-Costa. That Francisco Sarandolo required three sets to knock out, uh, five sets, excuse me, to knock out Sweeney yesterday kind of speaks to where his game is at, I suppose, right now. Just all over the place, inconsistency, feels like the footwork falls apart at times as well. The effort wanes. That was not, you know, Sweeney was a pure ball machine. The, the athleticism, the fluidity, the ability to absorb redirect pace. He was taking whatever Sarundalo was giving him. In the end, Sarundalo giving him a little too much. 6-2 in the fifth, Sarundalo able to survive advance. You could tell that one felt good for him moving forward as well. Your other five-set winners, Daniel Galan, 7-6 in the fifth. He knocks out and disappoints the Australian crowd in knocking out Aussie Jason Kubler. Chris O'Connell, though, able to flip the script. It looked like he was going to fall. Kristen Green was playing some really good tennis, and when Green broke back for five all in the fifth, I thought, all right, Green's got it. Not the case. O'Connell, 7-5 in the fifth, able to prevail. Pavel Kotov, also very impressive. He was down a break early to the big serving, big hitting Arthur Rinderkinesh. Able to flip that match, uh, flip that set, take the first two, 7-5-6-1, but Rinderkinesh kept fighting. Fights off a match point in the third set breaker, takes it 7-6, takes the fourth set 7-6 as well. Ultimately, though, Kotov, just a little bit more fluid in the outer thirds, which is crazy because he's got a little bit of a belly, and I say that in the best way. Whatever works, man. Everybody's a little bit different. Pavel Kotov can move, and you just feel like he's a guy who, again, the technique, nothing is traditional, and yet... It's a tennis player. 
through and through. The forehand on the run is just always going to surprise you. Kotov, 6-3 in the fifth, able to knock off Rinder Kanesh again. Six five-set matches on the men's side in what was a 16-match day one. On the women's side, you had seven matches go the distance. I already mentioned Krejcikova, Lysia Serenko, the 28th seed, also able to survive 6-3 in the third over the grinding Lucia Bronzetti. That match, very Sarundalo Sweeney-esque. Bronzetti was just everywhere. Ultimately, Serenko's forehand, the biggest weapon on the court, allowing her to prevail. Tamara Korpatz, very sloppy to start. Found her rhythm down the stretch, pulled away 2 6 6 3 6 love over Barrage. I love watching her slap a forehand. Always enjoyable. I mentioned the two 16 year olds, Kornieva, Fruvertova. How about Alicia Parks? She's not exactly old now. She's not 16, but Alicia Parks, currently 23 years old, uh, back up to 82 in the world following her first-round victory from a set-down. She earns a 2-6-6-3-6-4, excuse me, 2-6-6-2-6-4 win over Daria Sneeger. I mean, again, when Alicia Parks is making clean contact on the return of serve, she's very difficult to beat because she's so aggressive. Her serve can be so overwhelming. And when she's in rhythm and she's confident, again, just a tough, tough out for any opponent. So a massive credit here uh, to uh, Alicia Parks for finding her rhythm. I think she broke at love 5-4 in that match to end things. And, you know, again, I think it, she ends it on a perfect backhand down the line winner. That kind of epitomizes when she's rolling, her ceiling remains extraordinarily high. Uh, again, grinds her way through a round one victory. Next up for Alicia Parks, a date with 32nd seeded Layla Fernandez. That is a fascinating round two matchup. That will certainly get a shout out on our Great Shot podcast preview episodes when we approach its start date. Your last three-set winner on the women's side kind of gets us into the other results because there were three young Russians, all impressive yesterday, whether it was 20-year-old Alina Avanesian. She might be 21, excuse me, but 21-year-old Alina Avanesian, 20-year-old Maria Timofeeva, 22-year-old Kamila Rakimova, all, all looked impressive uh, in, in the course of their victories again. Uh, a three-set win, ultimately, for Avanesian over by 4 6 7 5 6 2 she, she was probably, of the three, again, Timofeeva stood out the most. Timofeeva, a straight set win, two and four over Alize Cornet. That featured some fascinating athleticism. And Timofeeva's fluidity, like, again, very much a counterpuncher. Very much, dare I say, there's some Putin Seva to her, only without the antics and the personality, like, but in terms of game style, like, just how well she grinds, absorbs, redirects pace, and then can sneak some aggression by you as well. Like, now, Cornet was the perfect opponent for her, but... Timofeeva, like, you see her legs are units, like, just so muscular, and you can see why she moves as well as she does, and, you know, again, foundationally, fundamentally, that movement is something you noticed, and so she probably impressed me the most of the three. Rakimova was just able to find the outer thirds, absorb the plus-one blows of Bactis with enough frequency to earn a 4-4 four and four win, so I still, jury's still out on the number 90th ranked uh, 22-year-old Russian I would say of those, Avanesian kind of split the difference. Like, she's she's quick. She's fluid. Certainly has a little bit more pop as well. Rakimova, probably the most natural pop of the three from a ground stroke perspective. Although Avanesian can turn into a ball as well. Still, three more Russians to put on the list. Again, those three, Diana Schneider. Obviously, you've got the headline Russians as well. Potapova and 
I, I could go through the whole list. We don't have to do that right now. Here's the point. That was a fun storyline to see three other young Russians having some success, not even the headline Russians, but Avanesian, uh, Rakimova, Timofeeva, all earning victories on day one of this event. Your other winners on the women's side, there's no analysis to offer for Arena Sabalenka. That wasn't a match. That was a domination. 0-1. She wins her round one match. Maria Sakari. Struggled a little bit with her rhythm, got a break, gave the break right back in set number one against now Habino, but boy, was she playing good ball. So playing with such freedom in set number two, playing like the sort of player who just got a huge mental hurdle off of her back and winning that title at the end of 2023. Backhand was a little handsier than I remember, but she was extending through it so well. The forehand was just in form in this match. It was the biggest weapon on the court, and she dominated with that, with her physicality, her movement. Sakari looked really solid in a 4-1 and one round one victory, as did Layla Fernandez, who just feasted on Sarah Balick's second serves. And look, I like the lefty, who is going to be such a tough out on clay. You see the heavy topspin, the loopiness of her ball, how she employs the slice-lob combo on the backhand wing, but the depth and the angle she can generate on the backhand as well. Sarah Balick is going to be a real player, the teenager moving forward, but just couldn't get the ball through the court with nearly the ease that Layla Fernandez did. And, you know, again, after a nervy first set, Fernandez just played more freely in set two, able to dictate much more comfortably with her weapon. So straight set victory for her uh, to advance to round two and set up again that fascinating second round matchup with Alicia Parks. And then last on the women's side, shout out Caroline Dalahide. Like, again, she's a top 50 player now. So two and four win over qualifier Liège Jean Jean on paper sounds like nothing, but Dalahide is new to this position, hasn't won a lot of matches at majors in her career, and to do so so comfortably to as she tries to consolidate her top 50 position here to start the year, that, that was a big win for Dalahide, who just, her weapons overwhelmed Jean Jean. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Wasn't really pushed in a 2-4 and four victory. On the men's side, mentioned Djokovic, Tiafo already. They both earned four-set victories. Yannick Sinner, three-set victory over maybe the well, I'd George on paper tougher than Vonda Senskult, but again, the Sin Man first match of the year, never doubt. Four, five, and three. Yeah, Vonda Senskult found some slices, found some ways to make Sinner uncomfortable. Sinner a few more unforced errors than maybe you would have liked, but again, match never in doubt. Straight set win for a guy who certainly looked the part of tier one uh, on day number one. How about Sebi Baez? Yes, JJ Wolf was clearly battling through injuries, but look, Wolf was up early breaks in sets one, two, and three, and it was Baez who came out of set three with a two sets to love, three, six, six, two, six, three lead. Ultimately, Wolf forced to pull the rift cord with that injury, down three love in the fourth, but again, Baez not a guy who gets a lot of hardcore wins. He'll take them wherever he can get them. Straight set uh, victory, excuse me. Straight set, four set victory, I suppose, uh, for Sebi Baez. So, again, that's an impressive result, uh, no doubt, for the Argentinian. And a result that, by the way, uh, gets him back up to number 29 in the live rankings. Right where he wants to be heading into that South American clay court stretch where he has always had so much success. Outside of the seeds yesterday on the men's side, how about Jaume Munar? Maybe I should have put this in the upset section. He drops just seven games, 3-3-1 three, three, and one over Alexander Shevchenko. Shevchenko just looked awful. Like It was just a terrible day at the office for the young Russian. 
Munar didn't do anything particularly spectacular. Shevchenko just gave him so many errors. It's a really good win for Munar to advance to round two. Not a guy who gets a ton of hard court wins. How about Matteo Arnaldi, the 22-year-old Italian, continuing his rise up to career-high 41 in the live rankings and reaching round number two. Straight set victory over an Adam Walton, who was much more aggressive than when we saw him in his tour-level action earlier in the season. Again, he is a top 100 athlete. The fluidity, the first step, the ability, the power, the ability to absorb, redirect, still struggling to generate his own pace. Arnaldi was just a little bit better at everything and could match his athleticism. 6-2-4, Arnaldi able to advance. How about Thomas Mychek? He had Shintaro Machizuki 10 feet behind the baseline. It felt like at all times, Mychek 5-1-5 has had so much challenger-level success of late. To see it translate here early, he's sitting at 75 in the live rankings right now. Good spot for the 23-year-old from the Czech Republic to be. Impressive straight set victory uh, as well over the lucky loser, Machizuki, to set up a date with 17th seated Francis Tiafo. That's a sneaky fun one to put on the radar as we approach round number two. Uh, your four set winners on the day, Fabian Marazan, 6-1-2-6-6-2-7-5, just could absorb the first blow of Marin Cilic and made that match too physical. Smart with how he dictates as well. Marazan's just good. I don't know if he's great at anything, but he's pretty good at everything as well. No discernible weakness, even if, again, it's not the most intense-looking technique or game style. The 24-year-old from Hungary, 67 in the live rankings uh, after his victory. Last but certainly not least, two more for you. Jesper DeJong, his first win at a major. DeJong, 6-4 in the third over Pedro Cachin. Guy can scoot around the court. And with the victory, he's sitting 161. It might not be his first victory at a major. I apologize. But I believe it is his first victory in Australia. Uh, he was a four-set winner. Uh, and then how about Quinton Halise? And what was some powerful, powerful tennis? Quinton Halise, 4-6-7-6-7-5-7-6 victory over Lloyd Harris. It's a really good win for the Frenchman, who obviously has flirted with as high as a top 50 ranking when he was at number 61. He's currently 101 in the rankings, dealt with some injuries, obviously, down the home stretch of the season. Also lost nine of his last 10 matches uh, entering this Australian Open, thus just a win to get back on the scoreboard. Always a good feeling, I imagine. He's currently sitting at 110 in the live rankings, so hey, he's on the cusp, right? He's going to face the winner of Corda Capriva in round number two. Definitely a winnable match for the big server. And, you know, again, as he looks to get back inside the top 100 in what would be an advantageous portion of the season indoor hard courts, obviously a big match for him moving forward. But he was just more fluid in the outer thirds. He could do more things than play plus one uh, than Lloyd Harris. Thus, ultimately, again, a tightly contested four-set victory going the way of Halise. That said... That is all 32 matches. That's everything we saw from day number one of this 2024 Australian Open. Now, again, if you are looking for a preview of day number two, head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. I'll have previews for you there each and every day throughout the course of this first week and I believe through the quarterfinal round of this event uh, and then we'll focus just, I guess, everything here on the Mini Break podcast feed. Again, you can find those shows wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure you subscribe, you rate, you review. We always appreciate those who do. It helps us with the sponsors, of course. I always appreciate the tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who has a <laughs> of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout-out to him. A shout-out as well to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all. 
of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We say, that's the break. I'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.